This content is for institutional investors and information purposes only. It does not contain investment, financial, legal tax or any other advice and should not be relied upon for this purpose. The materials are not tailored to your particular, personal and or financial position. If you require advice based on your specific circumstances, you should contact a professional advisor. Opinions expressed are those of the speakers as of the date of publication, are subject to change without notice and do not necessarily reflect Mercer's opinions. Welcome to our Critical Thinking, Critical uh, Issues podcast. Today, we will focus on impact investing. My name is Angelika Dilan and I'm Global Head of Impact Investing. Today, we will speak about the key words that are being discussed for quite some time, transition, transformation, and innovation. I'm happy to be supported on that by having with me two guests, Silvia Ruprecht, welcome. Silvia is in charge of the climate and finance at the Swiss Federal Office of Environment. The climate policy section develops climate policy strategies and measures for the attention of the Federal Council and Parliament. Silvia leads the regular progress measurement to align the Swiss financial market with climate goals, as well as research and policy work to support an active contribution of stakeholders to the climate goals. And we are supported with Cara Williams. Cara is our global ESG and sustainability strategy leader and also in charge of global alignment with Mercer and Marsh McLennan initiatives. Cara leads the program of work to articulate and amplify Mercer's ESG value proposition and positioning, embed sustainability in the journey of bright future and drive highly practical, relevant and value-added outcomes both internally and externally. As you can see, I'm surrounded by two experts in order to discuss the quite uh, interesting theme around impact when it comes to transition, transformation and innovation. Let's have a look on the current status. Maybe that's a good starting point. Sylvia, I would like to start with you. You were one of the key drivers of Pacta. Maybe you can briefly ex- uh, explain what it is and what were are the key findings out of it. Thank you very much, Angelica, and also a warm welcome to this podcast from my side. And thanks very much to, to have a the chance to discuss with you this important topic. So, first of all, what it is about. We know from science that all emissions worldwide have to decline to zero in the next 30 years. That means all buildings, all transport, all industry to reach this net zero goal. So, how do we manage that? We work in climate policy. Of course, our goal is first also to regulate a real economy. But as we live in this interlinked world, we need everyone, also the financial market, and we know it's urgent. So therefore, we also have the third call of the Paris Agreement to align financial flows. And with this in mind, we started our regular monitoring of the Swiss financial markets, its climate goal alignment, but also its climate contribution as the topic today is also about impact. And we based on the PACTA methodology. PACTA stands for Paris Agreement Capital Transition Assessment, and it is an internationally applicable and open source methodology, and that's also a reason why we work with this methodology. So we started in 2017 with the first assessment, and then we helped further developing this methodology, tested again in 2020, and uh, in a two years rhythm, in 2022, the last report came out. So how does it work in Switzerland when we do a coordinated pact analysis? You can do it also as an institutional investor by euro. 
but we did it coordinated. So we invited all Swiss pension funds, insurances, all banks and all asset managers to participate. It was driven by us, the environmental ministry, supported by the financial ministry and the associations. And institutions can participate voluntary and free of charge because we support research money to the PACTA methodology as it is an open source tool. And you can also participate anonymous in Switzerland. Just the external independent think tank that is now Rocky Mountain Institute, RMI, they see your data, conduct the analysis. We, the federal office, we don't see your portfolio data because we do two quantitative tests, equity and corporate bots globally. And then we have an additional module to test your Swiss real estate and mortgage portfolio. There, I can say something on the results, is a close interlinkage to the impact question too. And in addition, we have a qualitative survey to really capture what the financial market is doing. And what was the outcome? So... First, it has to be said that each institution, they receive a report, an interactive one, on every portfolio level and on institution level. We had 133 institutions participating and over 2,000 portfolio in the test. And they get their peer comparison. And it's also comparable between asset owners, asset managers. We just publish a report with aggregated data, anonymized for the different financial sectors, so pension fund, insurance, its banks, and the whole market to see where we stand and what it is about. At a glance, at the, looking at the results, so you see uh, when you look at the titles of the three different reports we published, you see the evol evolving. The first report, it was named Out of the Folk. So it was a first overview. The second in 2020 was called Bridging the Gap, and the title now in 2022 was Aiming Higher. So just in a nutshell, um, this exercise, with this exercise, we managed to have a comparable analysis. This is important also for the credibility of a financial market actors' voluntary action. And we see more and more good examples in all sectors, in all asset classes. And this shows that the financial market players can play a very significant proactive role in accelerating the climate transition. But however, we also see in the test results that a much greater effort is needed in the near future to really become a climate goal aligned fin financial market and, and to be more impactful. But of course, with this broad coverage and participation, now we had a, a good or have a good basis for further discussion. So very briefly. Thank you very much, Silvia. So it was a little bit uh, focusing on Switzerland and also the European part because several European countries joined the Pact Initiative. Para being part of several global discussions, uh, where do we stand now, globally speaking? Yeah, I mean, I think um, Silvia, if anything, um, highlighted the fact that Switzerland is probably far more sophisticated and far more down a track um, to to start to even capture what do investment portfolios look at look like um let alone the ability to benchmark and to get a really good sense of where you are and how you need to get um you know, to to your future future state in order to help um help meet our climate goals the rest of the globe unfortunately is is far behind um i did i think mainly because you know the the capability and the ability to organize um asset owners across all these various um insights is not that easy 
and you have obviously different different countries, different sort of political situations where it may not be even encouraged to do so. Where you do have, um, you know, a willingness, and I think you you do have a lot of asset owner, a lot of very large asset owners who do have a willingness and and an aspiration and desire to you know transition their investment portfolios to a um, towards debt zero. Um, and you know, in the in the main, I think they you know they they've got the ability to access expertise outside. You obviously Switzerland, you you have you have access to you know in country capability, but um, most countries and most asset owners don't have that kind of access. So you know what you typically find is um, you know piecemeal. Um, you know certain consultancies certainly. You know we we have an ability that we developed with the World Economic Forum to benchmark sort of a climate climate benchmarking tool so that large asset owners can start to look at themselves cross-border and start to see how they compare to, to other asset owners as far as their policies go. We also have the ability to work with clients on on their own climate transition on their portfolios. But again, it tends to be quite piecemeal, right? It's not um, it's not government encouragement necessarily like you have um, currently happening in, in Switzerland. And I, you know that regulation, I think, is a key component to starting to move that needle. Thank you, Clara. I think what's quite interesting when it's linked to sustainability and impact, it's the it's the innovation angle we are discussing, right? So if you look at innovation, innovation is driven by the need of solution, and impact is really driven by tackling uh, dedicated one or more challenges. Um, a recent survey published by PwC says that forty percent of the global CEOs believe that their company will no longer be economic viable in ten years if it stays on its current course. And I think that's quite linked to the discussion we're having right now. Sylvia, what do you see as a major challenge when it comes to the transition or the transformation uh, we're discussing? So I think, of course, it's innovation. Um, but there actually, of course, the, the financial market also can play a role. But when I look at uh, especially the Swiss uh, players, I think it's more a niche there. We have other uh, policy instruments where we put forward and, and we support uh, the innovation. I think uh, the financial market actors, the, the, the mainstream actors, they have uh, also other uh, points where they can really have an impact. But I think that's really the main challenge to come to a real impact. And what do I mean with that? It's like, to make a difference, to have a real additional climate goal contribution, because what we also see is a lot of good intentions of financial market actors or using business opportunities. And I mean, that's fine. It's just when you remember what I tried to say in the beginning, where we stand, what it is all about, where we have to head at in the next 30 years. It's just 30 years, 2050 to be net zero, every uh, emissions decline. That's just not enough. So, um, and it also comes the risk of greenwashing when you just look for opportunities. Maybe an example, we did a broad study recently with the University of Zurich, uh, bottom-up survey, quantitative modeling, um, asking the question, does ESG integration impact the real economy? And the result was maybe a little bit. So we are very happy that, that, that uh, Kara, you talked about regulation in Switzerland. We have a lot of voluntary approaches, uh, also these exercises I talked about. It's a, a voluntary exercise and a lot of uh, financial market actors take uh, more or less serious voluntary action. 
And in this context, the Federal Council, um, in by the end of the year, it uh, went out with a position paper in the context of greenwashing saying that financial products or services should only be advertised being sustainable if they are A, compatible with a specific sustainability goal, so the alignment part, or and or contribute to achieve a sustainability goal. So that means that also ESG integration and looking at the financial risk mitigation shouldn't be labeled as sustainable anymore. And actually, I think that's where we should head at. Um, so coming back to the question of the global leaders you ask. So, I mean, I really think financial market access can uh, influence such real companies, maybe also support innovation, but they have to be serious about it. And um, yeah, I think that's the, that's the point. And I, 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 thanks, Olivia. I think I would add, um, you know, I think there's, a, you know, it, it is a world of good intentions in the main, right? Um, you know, let, let's let's be optimistic and say that you know the, these intentions are authentic and true. The ability to source and identify impactful investments is not that easy, right? It, you know, especially given the fact that most of the opportunities are, frankly, in the private in the private market sector. Um, and you have the ability to do the necessarily due diligence to really understand what you're investing in, and more importantly, understand what the impact is, is a, a is a true challenge. Um, so I, I think a lot of times you you find you know the they these are these are good actors um, that are well intentioned, but frankly, the it, it's just a bit of a quagmire as, as far as looking for the the right opportunities and, and getting a good sense of the breadth of impact that you want to make and where is that impact going to meet. And you, you you refer to the sustainability goals and alignment towards those, right? There are a lot of them, right? Like how, how do you choose you kind of how do you choose the ones that you're not going to care about, right? Yeah, you, you, so let alone choosing the ones you are going to care about and the ones that you are going to invest in in a very focused manner. You still have to put to the side a lot of other really valuable and important SDGs, sustainability development goals, right? In order to be truly impactful, because you can't kind of spread yourself super thin if you want to if you want to make an impact. I think uh, you both uh, made the right point. I think alignment is key, the understanding, right? And also being capable of the resources. Um, and uh, when we look on the on the impact discussion, uh, I fully agree with you, Sylvia. ESG integration is not enough. ESG helps us to understand the risks, right? It's really inward focused. Whereas on the impact side, we are looking on the effects products and services have. So really trying to understand the effect. Uh, our decisions are having uh, by investing in uh, corporates or uh, companies or managers. Uh, impact is driven by the term of action as well, right? So uh, where you have uh, really a clear intention, what you want to tackle and how. And now what uh, was quite interesting for me is also what do you see, you know, how institutions, investors can have an impact? How can they support, right, um, in order to move from a more broad ESG-driven approach towards an impact lens? I think there's, of course, different ways, possibilities. I think overall, it, of course, helps when the whole organization did the CEO level steps back and, and looks at what is the best long-term outcome for our beneficiaries, clients, also for, for our institution and, and having this in mind, because then you naturally conclude the hot house scenario is not what we need and it's not beneficial for us all. But 
to maybe focus a bit more on what we didn't can really do. I can just tell some exp- examples what what we captures when uh, with our uh, survey and our packed analysis. Um, so, of course, uh, as you said, primary markets when you are a real estate owner replace the fossil heating systems. Of course, there can be also social problems, but I I, I mean, from a long term point of view. Replace the fossil heating system with a renewable one. When you have indirect funds, then you can put pressure on the on the real estate owners. When you have mortgage portfolio, we see more and more, um, especially also banks incentivizing clients, facilitate um, with favorable conditions, but also with advice, with looking at where the government uh, supports financially, and and you advise your clients where where you can can find. Um, Additional finance to replace the re- replace the heating system or refurbish. Of course, when you are just uh, invested in secondary market products, so equity and, and bonds, then the most impactful way research says can be through engagement. But there, are, of course, it depends a bit if you are a big one or a small one, if it's a joint engagement or not, or what. Um, also says the uh, the asset owner alliance that influencing via uh, climate as a via the po- engage with the policymakers can also be an effective way. And we also have such, some examples where that really helped, like nationally. So yeah, get a good overview where you stand, where you can have impact, where you, where, where you have possibilities. I mean, may, maybe also back to Cara, it. it, it what is your experience? Does it make a big difference where you are from? If Are you a small player, a big player? Um, and then what I said before, be honest what you promise and uh, try to to make a difference with what you do. Yeah, I mean, I'd say I, I see it sort of from from the two sides. So, um, for asset owners, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think engagement, and we're hearing the term used a lot these days, and in the it, the, the engagement is almost part of the problem is very much like, you know, access to private markets, right? So people who truly have a voice and can engage are probably the same ones who can also invest in the private markets, right? It, you know, it, it Size matters usually. Um, what's great is we're starting to see a lot of ecotech and, and sort of combining with fintech coming together and enabling sort of smaller asset managers potentially to engage with managers as a, as a consortium, right? Like that kind of thing is going to be really critical because a small asset manager isn't necessarily going to have much of a voice at the table. But you also refer to stakeholders and, you know, stakeholders are going to be a critical part in, in moving the needle. So now I, I look at, I'm looking at it from the other side. So, so we, we have, um, we, we get to work with corporates around the globe who are on their own sustainability journey. So where Angelica, you know, quoted the PwC survey, um, was it 40% of, of CEOs, you know, don't think that, that they can survive um, the way that they're currently operating, that they're not sustainable. You know, there I like to use the term sort of sustainable is interchangeable with longevity, right? They don't think they're going to actually thrive financially, potentially, and they're not going to continue to attract new employees. Um, so, you know, they may actually have to, you know, shut their doors in a number of years, they continue down their path. So I think as corporates, if we look at corporates and how they're trying to change, and again, I think I'm going to try to take this with little or less skepticism than I normally do, right? It, it's, there are a lot of corporates that are are truly well-intentioned and do want to shift their business models 
maybe because they want to be sustainable. They they want to they want to attract the good employees. They want to be able to you know thrive for the, for their investors and the shareholders. Um and and you know potentially you know, have positive impact on their communities. I do see those those firms really starting to look at the how they operate, where they're operating. But I think as investors, we also also need to accept the fact that there needs to be a, a just transition, right? That that just pulling the plug on a lot of these things isn't actually feasible, and and more importantly, is actually can be very harmful on communities where there are people who are you know really quite reliant on certain things. So it it has to be. Done in a way that's um, you know, effectively balanced, right? And working with corporates on a journey, right? Again, they they can't necessarily pull the plug um, from one day to the one day to the next in a, in a logical manner. I would like to take the point from Sylvia because she mentioned the policymakers, and I know Cara, you have been uh, uh, you took part on the COP uh, uh, last year. I think you know what um, the overall. Um, expectation was quite high, right, in terms of what is going to be the final statement, the outcome. And there was a kind of uh, disappointment afterwards. And the question is really the role of policymakers and what was your experience being there and having different discussions. So uh, probably we do not see everything, you know, what has been behind the scene. Uh, um, and I believe it's also that the part of the policymakers are crucial uh, next to, you know, corporates and, and, and asset owners. Yeah, I mean, I would say be beware of the big the big splash, right? Um, the fact that there wasn't a lot of you know hip hip hooray in the press, and you know we we've done it, we've sorted it out. Um, to me, that's a really good sign. That that actually means that people are you know hunkering down and starting to think about how can how can policy, government, and and the private sector work together. And there is a lot of that happening on the back of COP. And the beauty of COP is that. It's very much a don't just come here to have a conference and to network. It's really you come here with a a promise of something that you believe you can achieve, and then next year you better prove that you've achieved it, and then come and then make your next your your next step, right? And some 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 firms are going to be bigger, some governments are going to be bigger, some are going to be smaller, but whatever it is that, that people have to commit to something at COP, and that that is what one of my favorite things about it. There's a lot of now interaction happening behind the scenes on the back of just this last cop where it's again you know private sector working together cross you know cross lines you know traditional competitors working together in a way that that you can potentially de-risk certain investments how do you move investment from global north to global south in a way that's profitable for investors people still have a fiduciary duty duty to to the underlying investors um but i think there's a lot a lot happening so i'm definitely not pessimistic as to what happened on the back of cop 27 i think cop 28 to me is going to be the the the, the show me right like show me what you've done over the last year um and again what are the ne- what are the next promises um, that that you are going to commit to and who do you need right because no one can do this um nobody can do this t- together Sylvia, any any uh, remark from your side when it comes to the policymaker being part of the climate ministry? <laughs> Thank you very much. the thought. As I said before, for me, it's like, of course, it's not the first financial market has to solve the climate problem and then next to the policymaker. Of course, it's policy that has to drive uh, the, 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 the market conditions and everything, but... Sometimes people think that policymakers, they can just solve whatever it's the best and what it's like. But 
fortunately we live in democracies <laughs> and that's why we need like the whole uh, surrounding and that's why i think in during this discussion we are all are optimistic that there is an outcome but we also have to be aware that we really have to accelerate action like on all sides immediately just to not be too optimistic <laughs> but just to really uh, give out the message that it has to move now urgently i think that's a perfect uh, finishing uh, point as well you know the finishing part it's a call to action um, I think you both uh, uh, gave a super overview in terms of where do we stand, how can it be supported, and where what has to be done. And I think it's a call of action to understand the impact we're having with our investment decisions or business decisions. And I would like uh, to thank you both for your contribution to a very interesting and engaging impact discussion and moving the transition and transformation towards an impact economy. Thank you very much. Thank you.